Hello world, welcome to Living to Write, where in each episode we talk with a noteworthy writer about their methods, achievements, challenges, and advice for other writers. I'm Brian Landwehr, and I'm a writer. If you are too, or you'd like to be, or you're just curious about how and why writers do what they do, you're in the right place. With me every episode is my faithful companion, Bailey Patterson, who produces this podcast when he isn't busy writing. Hello, Bailey. Hey, Brian and writers of the world. Um, Brian, you know, I was thinking, I never ask how you're doing. So how are you, Brian? I'm I'm doing very well, thanks. I'm, you know, happy to be living in a mostly post-COVID world, though it sounds like it's still maybe coming around again to some extent. But um, I'm staying vaccinated and avoiding and... Besides, I'm mostly hiding in the basement writing, so I don't know how I would get sick. So uh, Your man cave. There is, yeah, there is safety in the man cave, as far as I know. Perfect. It okay. works pretty well. How are things going for you? How are you, and are you about ready to uh, take your big trip to the UK? Yeah, um, as ready as one can be, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty last minute there with packing and things like that, but... Looking forward to seeing some fellow Story Summit friends and new writers, and uh, you'll also be making a trip up there. Yes, I I, I, so. I will be overlapping with you by a week, which is great. We see each other often, uh, as much as Zoom is seeing each other, but yes. um, but it's been a hot minute, as the kids say, since we've actually seen each other face to face. That's true. So I'm I'm looking forward to sharing many pints with you, sir. Oh so yes, I I will have to. It'll be rough. We'll have to choose between the pub that was built in the 1400s and the pub that was built in the 1500s. This is going to be fun. It's going to be fun, right? Oh, and I, I suppose we'll do some writing when we're there too. Some yeah, writing. maybe maybe a bit. Maybe Not a just bit. drinking, but uh, <laughs> I feel like you and I haven't had a chance to have a proper drink together. So this is going to be fun. I'm sure we'll have I'm looking forward to it. dozens of hours of things to talk about in person. And as Mark said, you'll have to count how many times I say A. <laughs> and, uh, maybe we could throw that a dollar in the jar every time. I'll or keep, pound. I'll keep a tally sheet. We'll, we'll work that out on the final day. There we go. It'll be great. So uh, you have found another stellar guest for this episode, as you always do. So thanks very much for that. Today, we're excited to be chatting with Randall Kleiser. Any listeners who recognize his name may appreciate why I'm finding him a little bit challenging to introduce because he's accomplished so many things in the entertainment industry over so many years. I'm kind of not sure where to start. Yeah. What hasn't he done, honestly? Uh, yeah, I agree. That's sort of literally true. Uh Though to be fair, I suppose some listeners who do recognize his name may know him for just one specific accomplishment, which is that he was the director on a little movie you may have heard of called Grease. Uh, yeah, I may have heard of it. I have heard of it. <laughs> so, Randall is a director so talented that even the film he made as his master's thesis when he was at USC is now in the National Film Registry recognized as one of the most significant films ever made. I mean, that's how you get in the registry in the first place. And on top of that, he's directed television and plays and a few other movies that we've all heard of, like The Blue Lagoon, Flight of the Navigator, White Fang, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. And along the way, he's helped advance industry technologies like digital cinematography and he's even appeared as an actor here and there over the years. And he has really impressive artistic skills uh, of a different sort in that he sketches using a blind contour technique, which is that he keeps his eyes on his subject while he's drawing and his pencil on the paper. But he's not watching what he's drawing. He's watching his subject, which, as we're going to be talking about with him here today is frequently uh, people. And don't forget, he's also a writer and screenwriter. 
Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, sort of why we have him here today. That's all important, too. So as I mentioned about the drawing, we're going to be talking to him about his new book, Drawing Directors, which is full of short stories and observations about directors he's crossed paths with over his many years in the industry. And those are alongside these uh, fantastic blind contour sketches he's done of those artists. So I'll be anxious to hear more about that and understand how that all came together. So I will say, listeners, if you're here today for a conversation that's strictly about writing, I can't promise that today because there's just way too much to discuss when you get a chance to sit down with somebody like Randall. Plus, Bailey and I did have the pleasure of meeting Randall in person at a Story Summit event back a few years ago, but we didn't really get an opportunity to properly chat with him then, so let's make up for that now. Lights, camera, action. Thank you very much for joining us, Randall. Hey, Brian, how are you? It's uh, good to see you again. Been a few years since we uh, met on the uh, cruise. Right. Yes, nice to be back. Hi, Bailey. Hey, Randall. Good to see you. Uh, Thank you. Nice to see you. Well, we really appreciate your time today. Preparing to chat with you has been a little different than the other few episodes we've done because uh, it's normally seemed a little obvious to me where to start, what uh, a good first question is. Your career has been long and varied in such a way I couldn't decide whether to talk to you about writing or directing or maybe acting or or this or that. So uh, let's maybe start with writing since that's the focus of the podcast. And since you've got your new Drawing Directors book out very recently, how recently? Oh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, but I've been working on it for like decades. You know, it's, 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 uh, I, I've done these things where I've, I've been in the presence of many directors that I admire because I live here in LA and there's lots of events that I go to. And I, I started drawing them without them knowing about it. So none of the directors in the book know that I drew them, but I, all, they're all done from life. I read about your blind contour drawing and I, I found that fascinating. You said that you got started with that in art school. Is that right? Yeah, I, I went to a Philadelphia Museum College of Art uh, for a bit uh, and the Bryn Mawr Art Center when I was young, when I was very young. And that's where I learned this technique. And, and it's really fun because, um, you know, you can do stuff really quickly. Uh, and the problem is people move around. You know, if they don't know you're drawing them, they can, ch- you can be almost finished and then they switch their position and the drawing's no good. Plus, it's very, very hard to get it get it right because you're not really looking down so it usually takes many many drawings to get one that that's even vaguely looks like the person so you're looking at your subject uh, your hand is on the pad you're you're doing your drawing this is by feel and instinct and the result you get is the result you get right and there's i fascinating i have piles and piles of bad ones (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure I think for anybody who uh, takes a look at this book online, at first glance, they might think that this is just an art book. And it's certainly an art book, but um, this isn't just a folio of drawings. This is fascinating stories supporting um, each of your drawings and talking about the uh, relationships and experiences that you've had with these various people in the industry. Does that sound right? Yes, and also, I mean, the people I didn't know really well, I really mostly walked, talked about their work uh, and the movies that I had seen and admired of theirs. Um, some of them I had personal relationships with and others who I just was like a you know observer. And so that's, that's why it goes in and out of all that. Interesting. And I love the, uh, the brief and effective uh, foreword by Roger Corman. Um, <laughs> I think that's fantastic that you have a history with him. When did you first meet Roger Corman? Well, I, um, I had heard about how he was giving all these directors their first break when I was in, in film school. And uh, when I graduated, I, I decided I would 
try to get Roger to produce my first movie. So I he was doing horror movies at the time. So I came up with one called Attack of the Bone Sucker. And it was Ooh. a it was like a robot that had a plant inside it. And it would uh, grab women and the, the roots would go into their body and, and take their bones out, leaving them a quivering mass of living flesh. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I made a big poster of the monster and uh, with this girl being being attacked because it just felt like something he would like. And <clears throat> I went to his uh, office on Sunset Boulevard and waited for him. And when he got into the elevator, I jumped in with the poster and I started pitching the story on the way. It was a literal elevator pitch. <laughs> I like that. And by the time we got to the top, I finished my pitch and he said, oh, that's very interesting. But I'm doing women's pic prison pictures now. So <laughs> <laughs> so I had to throw out the, the Attack of the Bone Suckers group. And uh, I, I did end up... Um, working as an assistant to the assistant editor on a woman's prison picture. No, I guess it was a, a, a it was called Angels Hard As They Come. That was one of his. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And I worked in the editing room there and I was fired because I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was excited to be working on 35 millimeter film because it was so thick, you know, I'd only done eight millimeter and 16. And I was working on it and I was supposed to, I was supposed to label sound effects <clears throat> and so i would listen to the sound effect and i would I'd cut it up and wrap it up and i'd put I'd put a tape on it and, and i would write what was there like oof ow woof and, and i didn't realize i was supposed to be <laughs> um labeling it with the characters not the sound so i was completely oh no <laughs> they, they threw me out i was totally <laughs> luckily i got away from editing and moved into other stuff so what was your next industry move after that? Well, luckily I had done um, my master's thesis, which I wrote and directed called Peach, which was about my grandmother in a nursing home on Christmas Day. And that movie um, was seen by people at Universal and um, they uh, hired me immediately to start directing television. So that was uh, unusual, but I think it was because I... Well, the script was very personal, and I think it worked very well. Um, and I was able to attract name actors to be in it. In my student film, I had Bruce Davison and Barbara Rush. And uh, wow, Annette Nolan and William Shallard and Barry Livingston. So it was an all-star cast, and um, that got the attention of Universal, and they hired me to start to start directing. Fantastic. Okay, so you essentially started as a director, which doesn't sound like the most common route uh, into the industry. Had you done much writing before then, or was the writing all later? It was really, um, my, I wrote my student films. I had like about four or five student films, but but my master's thesis, Peach, was the one that, that people saw and got me going. Uh, but um, yeah, I, 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 directing episodic television was amazing uh, training because you had a deliver 10 pages a day and uh, on time and on budget and they had to make sense and you know um it was really really hard because you're basically just getting the dialogue on film and and it, maybe you can do one interesting shot a day if you're lucky but mostly it's just trying to get it done get it done get it done and uh, i realized that i had to come in on time and on budget on that first movie first show it was called Marcus Welby MD and um the, 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 the I, I analyzed how to survive which was they had six days of shooting five were at the studio and one day was on location and going on location was very expensive so I determined a way to shoot the whole movie on the lot um that we were supposed to go to an airport at night and I and I said well why don't we instead of going to the airport Let's put a, a chain link fence up on the back lot and some some lights that go off into the distance, like um, Christmas lights that go off in the distance so it looks like you're at the airport and do the scene there, which I did and saved $10,000 off the budget. So I was invited back. 
So you laid those Christmas lights out in a kind of a forced perspective thing to right, give it right. a ho, ho, ho. That's crafty. I yeah. like that. Well, I just wanted to make sure that I that I came in under budgets and uh, it worked. So they invited me back for four more and uh, then I, I just kept working because I could get things done on time and on budget. And I've always prided myself in that. Yeah, well, yeah, the business part of show business loves that. So um, yeah. that's a great way to start. <laughs> Uh, to, to back up just a little bit, when you were writing your your student films, what was your attitude about writing at that point? Did you love the process of writing or was writing a little more something you needed to get done so that you could then go shoot the movie that was in your head? Was it a necessary evil or a craft that you adored? All part of the same thing, you know. Uh, writing and directing to me is... is uh the same it's, okay and editing too i mean you're making the movie uh, they say what four different times you write it you shoot it you edit it and then you re-edit it <laughs> so it's all same, part of the same process of, of creating a story and um i i just uh remember when i was doing my my one of my student films um was about a um a guy that i knew who was um who had been in all the beach party movies and he was now kind of washed up. And so I made a movie, uh, a student film about him called Summer Days Don't Last, uh, where he was trying to hang on to the past. Um, and he invited all his friends from the beach party movies to his Malibu place, which he could no longer afford for one final uh, beach party at night. And they all show up and they've all become hippies. <laughs> so he's <laughs> like uh, devastated, and at the end of the uh, at the end of the party, he gets on a surfboard and 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 paddles out towards Hawaii and dies. <laughs> so oh. uh, it, it, John Milius was the story consultant on it because he he loved surfing and 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 you know we'd sit around. Uh, everybody helped each other in those days with their writing and their projects because. We were told that nobody was going to get into the industry because nobody had at that point. And um, so George Lucas, I worked on uh, an actor in his very first movie, and John helped me with my writing on my first movie, and Basil Polidorus, uh, I played a corpse for him in one student film. So we were all, uh, you know, like, became this tight-knit group. And we've remained that way. I mean, I still see all my friends from USC Film School, uh, even the, you know, 50 years later. That's great. You said you were in Lucas's first film. What was was that THX 1138 or, or is this something before, before that? Before that. It was his first time working in live action and it was called Freiheit, which is the German word for freedom. And uh, it's on YouTube. And um, basically, I'm a German student escaping across the Berlin border and uh, being machine gunned to death. That's that's the, uh, the premise of it. It's about two or three minutes long. Uh, he was your roommate in college, was that, uh, was that he right? Had a, he, had a, he was running a house up in Benedict Canyon and he had a, he lived on the top floor and he rented me this, this the bottom floor. So we did spend like about a year or so uh, sharing a house. Nice. And as long as we're talking about your acting experience, I have to inject this because I just, I knew you were going to. (laughs) I just learned this a few minutes ago, and it's so interesting. And I'm sure we've got plenty of Marvel fans who are listening. You once played Captain America. Do I have that correct? That was also in the student film, yes. Wow, that's fun. Don Glute was the name of the the filmmaker. He's very well known in the the sci-fi community because he's written many, many books. He even worked for George and wrote some Star Wars novelizations. But back in those days... Uh, Don was the only person that that was obsessed with comic book uh, ca- characters, and he's made all these movies with superheroes way, way, way before anybody was interested in it. And one of them was Captain America versus the Mutant, and I was Captain America. And then we had the the, the uh, stunt man named Bob Bob something. He got the actual head from this island Earth from the prop department. So we, we, were, we were in Griffith Park. I was wearing the Captain America outfit from this, the cereal, the black and white cereal. He had somehow got a hold of that. And we had the head from, from uh, 
this island earth. So we were battling it out in Griffith Park. Wow. 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 So I, uh, I hope your drawing director's book uh, ends up off to a good start here. What was your first book and how did you get into doing that sort of thing? Well, um, I, I saw Francis Coppola's book, The Godfather, where he went up into his attic and got all his notes and put them together and put out a book. And I thought, wow, I want to do that. So I went up in my attic, pulled down my, all my notes and my original script of Greece, and I sent it off to um, Harper Collins, and they said they'd like to do it. So we made Greece the director's notebook, which uh, has storyboards and, and the script and all the, the the interesting part about it is what we didn't shoot, because you'll see here, um, you know, the, I've crossed out things that didn't work. And if you read the, the the script all the way through, with and look through all the crossed out stuff, you can see that it really would have been horrible if we had used that all that 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 dialogue that that didn't work. Um, but mostly we went back to the the hit play dialogue because the writer was trying to improve it and it was already a big hit and it worked on stage and everything. And so, and all the actors knew the, the, the uh, jokes and where they were, but the, the, the writer was trying to improve everything and it really wasn't improving. So my, my contribution pretty much to the script of Greece was to just um, eliminate things that didn't work. Wow. I found the book so fascinating i loved how you also included little storyboard drawings of how you were going to shoot it and and you would even put in little tiny script notes of what you were thinking and ideas and things like that so any grease fanatics out there i would definitely recommend picking up this book because uh, you'll get a whole perspective on it well it took about a year to, to do it and uh, we wanted to have it come out for the 40th anniversary but uh, we couldn't get it done that fast so uh, it came out a year afterwards, but it's, you know, it's, it's evergreen. I think anybody who likes that movie will like the book. Who did the design for it, Randall? Cause the, oh, I love the cover of it too. It's, oh, it, it's a beautiful book. Yeah. The cover is so cool because what I wanted to do was make it look like it was an old beat up my, actually my old book. And, and so it's all distressed and there's this, this fake tape on it and, mm. and has all kinds of textures on the front of it. So it does feel like it's an old book. And, you know, when, when I give it to people, they sort of sometimes think it's some beat up old copy, but no, right. I mean, it's supposed to look like that. I think it's really interesting what you said, um, something, the effect that, that you felt like your biggest contribution to Greece was in what you cut out, what wasn't working. Mm. Because I feel a lot of people who aren't creators or are just getting started, I think people imagine that the people who are really good at what they do sit down at their computer and create only gems, that it's just an additive process. And I think people don't appreciate how your best day as a writer may well be the day you deleted 12 pages, not the day you wrote 30. You have to kill your babies is what they say. Yeah. Right. I'm in the process right now of writing, um, uh, my my autobiography, and uh, that's the period I'm at right now, where I'm I'm trying to figure out what do I take out because it's um, you know what's interesting and what isn't, and how do I where do I go too far, and and uh, are, is is this element good or should I take it out? I mean, it's very confusing. Um, there's all kinds of stuff about behind the scenes on movies. There's stuff about my personal life. There's the observations about the changes that have gone on in the movie industry from the, the studio system to digital revolution to AI, I mean, and, and virtual reality. All those things are all tangled up in there. And, and I'm just trying to get my head around what, what works. So editing is really, really a gigantic part of writing. Do you have anybody uh, involved in your process that's doing any editing for you along the way, or is it all you? Well, I have a friend uh, named Jan Perrault, who is a, uh, a French, um, uh, he put on exhibitions and galleries, and he has been helping me. And then there's another old friend. So I, I show it to them, and, and they give me feedback. 
but um, it's a long, long process. I have like a, about a thousand pages right now and I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. Maybe I need to do, break it into a couple different books. I don't know. How many pages would you like to get it down to? I don't know. I mean, what, what, <laughs> I, I don't, <laughs> whatever will work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and big bucks, do they sell? I mean, books that have a thousand pages, do they sell? I don't know. I, I haven't really focused on that. Uh, what's the average book length? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And with so many people using e-readers and even just their phones these days, the concept of pages are abstracted away a little bit. So I don't know what people are sensitive to these days for life. The other thing is uh, the, the attention span has gone way, way down because mm -hmm. of all the media and, and things on the phone and distractions and streaming and uh, yeah, yeah, you know. So yeah. I mean, how many people were going to sit down and read something that's that long? So maybe you need to edit it down into 150 short books that uh, people's <laughs> attention spans can survive. Not about that. <laughs> I think those are called blog posts, basically. Like, yeah. Um, well, and I mean, and there and there there have been successful authors who have done the little block at a time online via blogs that have ended up being popular books too. There's. Uh, there's more than one way to skin the cat these days. Well, like I, I, I did think about, I was going to have a chapter for each movie, but then I thought, well, I have The Making of Blue Lagoon would, would be a, a book on itself, and I've got that finished, so maybe uh, maybe that's what I'll do. Speaking on the, at the, at the attention span, I don't know where I read it, but uh, if your video doesn't hook somebody, let's say TikTok or social media, within like the first three seconds they say it is or something, they scroll. And if they see that the video is three minutes or two minutes, they scroll. Exactly. And it's just, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I'm in the process of making a sh my short film right now. And I kind of am dealing with that right now because, well, I want to hold on this scene a little longer, but I can't do that because the person's not going to watch it. So it's, you know, it's such a, so, you know, it's ruined art. It's ruined the uh, social media's kind of ruined that in a way. And, you know, Andy Warhol once said that everyone would be f f famous for 15 minutes. Now it's like everyone will be famous, famous for three seconds. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely exactly. agreed. Brian, if it's okay if we could pedal back for a second. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to skip over the whole grease because I know some viewers. No, no, go back, go back. So, Randall, could you talk a little bit about how Greece came, the project came to you and sort of how you were uh, chosen for that? Well, I, I had done a TV movie with John uh, Travolta called Boy in the Plastic Bubble. And uh -huh. yeah. he um, he really requested me, you know, he, he we got along real well and, and he had just finished that movie. And actually I was originally meet, met on um, Saturday Night Fever. And um, the, the the week that came out, uh, Robert Stigwood flew me to New York to meet Nick Cohn, the writer. And um, I thought maybe that's what I was going to be doing with John. And then I didn't hear anything for a while. And then suddenly they offered me Greece. So I was happy about that. I mean, I think I'm better suited for Greece than uh, Saturday Night Fever. So it worked out great. Was it a trick of balancing all of the different, because there's so many characters uh, in that story and you did such a great job of sort of, you know, balancing everybody and giving everybody sort of a moment. Did you find that difficult at all during the, uh, either the writing, going back to the script or even directing? Um, we followed pretty much the play, you know, I mean, uh, the play was a big, big hit. It, it ran for mm -hmm. years on Broadway. So the structure was there, the characters were there. I, I didn't really have to do much except um, just make it, um, I guess, get rid of the things that that slowed it down or 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 try to upgrade the songs you know we we found some of the songs sort of were not as 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 terrific as they could be and we brought in great writers who who brought in new songs and um and now they they've been integrated into the play actually the songs that we that we came up with in the movie have now been put into the play which songs were those well you the, can remember Building scene, Greece. Uh, you're the one that I want. Uh, hopelessly devoted to you. I don't know if they put Sandy in there now or not, but the the, the big the interesting thing about the the music of Greece is that 
when I first heard the lyrics for Song Grease, I thought they weren't right at all because they were things like, life is a time of illusion wrapped up in trouble and laced in confusion. What are we doing here? And I went to Barry Gibbon. I said, look, these this is very serious stuff. And the movie is very bright and bubbly. There's nothing serious about it. And uh, so can you change these lyrics? And he said, why don't you just shoot a serious scene? He <laughs> <laughs> so, gave me a huge hit. Nobody cared. Uh, and I thought it was all wrong, the, the lyrics. And then they've added it now to the play. And I went to see a... a, a, a I was asked to go see a, a version of the play with that at the beginning. And they did a dance number to it, the, the cast. And listening to the lyrics and seeing that whole thing, what it did was it gave a uh, another dimension to the play because you had all this stuff about these kids singing, life is tough and all that. And, we, and, we, and it set you up for a, a level of um, seriousness that wasn't in the play. So I think it was kind of interesting the way it all turned out when you see the movie when you see the play now with that song at the beginning it just gives you a a, a different perspective on the, what's coming up next it becomes a window on these characters coping with the darkness that was mentioned at the beginning yes and and it's wow. not really it's not really there but i mean that's not there that much but it gives you it gives a subtext to the to the play that wasn't there before which is kind of fascinating uh, and you know i resisted it and now i see that hey maybe it works in a different way wow that's really interesting did you have experience with musical theater uh in your past before doing the movie luckily i had uh, pat birch who was the choreographer of the original broadway show by my side and she and, and bill butler who was a, a cameraman on the conversation and on Jaws, so I was surrounded by really great people. And um, Pat had never done a movie before, and I had never done a feature before. But Bill was, you know, really, really uh, experienced, and so the three of us worked together really closely to make uh, to make movie. And one thing that that did help me a lot was that I had when I was at USC Film School, I worked as an extra in many, many musicals. So I, I had seen how they were broken down, like Camelot, Thoroughly Modern Millie, um, uh, Hello, Dolly, and uh, four Elvis Presley movies. So oh, I, wow. Very cool. I, I, watched, I watched how they break them down. And so I knew, I knew all about how musicals are made. Otherwise, I would have been lost. Fascinating. I still, am, I would think that it'd be really intimidating going into something with that scope and dealing with all that music. I have a little trouble wrapping my head around how a person brings all that together. Yeah. If you've got an opportunity in your schedule in life to direct something, would you rather be directing something that you've written or would you rather be directing something that someone else has written? Or do you look at those as just two completely different things? I just look at something that would turn out well. I don't care who, who wrote it. But, um, you know, one of the things that just occurred to me that I should talk about is for uh, all the writers is that um, I had a mentor who was uh, who taught me everything about directing, writing, everything. Uh, her name is Nina Fosh. Right behind me is the poster for the, for the thing. Um, she she did this thing. We did George George Lucas and I put together this course called the Nina Fosh Course for Filmmakers and Actors, and we filmed Nina's USC class directing and writing class for uh, a whole semester, and we cut it down into four hours. And it's on Amazon. It's a labor of love, and uh, it it is evergreen. It teaches you um, about actions, how to break down a script, how to how to structure a script how to how to work with actors and stage actors uh and i just highly recommend uh anybody who's interested in filmmaking at all to take a look at it because uh, it's i learned everything from her well it's funny that you mentioned that because i just learned about that here in the last hour and i have already ordered myself a copy of it because <laughs> i thought it looked fascinating it is fascinating and and for people who want a preview, they can go to Nina Fosh 
project.com and see clips and you'll, you'll get an idea. Or there's a YouTube channel too, I think, uh, Nidafash course, uh, just to, to get a flavor of it. It's, it's, I'm so proud of it. I think it's one of the best things that uh, I've worked on uh, because uh, I, I use it every time I start anything. I, I look at the whole four hours again there's so many little pieces of advice in there. A brilliant woman uh, taught us. As someone who's uh, looked at the course, because uh, you mentioned it to me on the cruise there, and as soon as I got off the cruise, I uh, went and just dived right in, and I, I learned so much from that course. And, you know, so for the past, I think it was, what, three years ago, the cruise? So the past three years, I've, yeah, I've gone back and looked at it multiple times, so... As somebody who's you know taken a course, yeah, I can recommend it too. It's it's, it's just wonderful. Yeah, really yeah. learn a lot. Really learn a lot. You know, it's because she studied with Stella Adler and and Lee Strasberg, and she was directed by Stanley Kubrick and Vincent wow. Minnelli, and she she was brilliant, and she put all that together in her own way, and that that's why the course is is so special because it takes draws from all those people and and spits it out through her her. Uh, yeah. Randall, what would you say that writers who are uh, intending to have a career are early in their career trying to uh, get the craft right and make things happen for themselves? Uh, what do people tend to get wrong and where should people be looking for help? Obviously, beyond lovely organizations like Story Summit, but uh, what uh, other books or resources or techniques might you recommend for people to get themselves figured out as writers? Well, all I can say is that my, the best things that I've done have come from uh, very painful personal experiences that I at first did not want to share with anyone. And um, so I usually talk about looking into your past and into your emotions and finding something that uh, is hard to talk about or hard to, to reveal and just reveal it, and then that'll be, that'll connect with other people. So uh, that's what I always talk to uh, writing uh, people about, is find something personal, because if you try to copy what you see out there, it's it's, it's not gonna work. It's gonna end up like uh, AI. <laughs> <laughs> right. At GPT. But if you're coming up with something com that comes from within, from, from a, a personal uh, and emotional place, that will connect with other people. Dig deep. Yeah, that's it. Dig deep and and dig deep in areas that are that are tough to talk about. Well, not only do you get sincerity out of that, but the most complex and challenging parts of your experience are probably a really good place to to find something unique that doesn't sound like anybody else's story or experience. We tend to have similar positive experiences in life but people's negative experiences i think tend to be more singular yeah and also the negative ones are by by uh by their nature they're they're filled with conflict so and, and drama is conflict right good good point see this is why i was so happy that you got randall to come talk to us bailey so thanks for <laughs> making this happen yeah he gets right to it yeah yeah it's like that's what they say about horror or and I guess any genre, but that's really what makes horror work, right? Is you really have to care about the characters in order for the actual horror and the scares to work. I just saw Talk to Me last night, the new horror movie. I don't know if you've seen it yet, Randall, from A24, but they actually made you care about the characters. And it, the movie actually would have worked if you took all of the horror out because it just mm. would have been a drama really about a daughter and mother and somebody who's sort of grieving over the loss of her mother so i, I really agree with what you're saying oh i saw uh, poor things the other night uh that, oh did you it's like mind-blowing movie totally mind-blowing nothing like it ever has been made it's it's so staggering in terms of production design and and concept and uh execution it's like is that Brian. Yargos? Yes. His, his new film? Yeah. It's uh, production design and and uh, Emma Stone just throwing it all out there, doing wild, naked sex scenes with all, all kinds of crazy people. Uh, and and 
the the sets are are huge and they're all they're not cgi they're really built i don't know how they did it but wow, wow. every single uh, moment is filled with these extraordinary gigantic sets which i couldn't believe and um uh, the sex scenes are are brutal. Uh, makes you not want to have sex again. <laughs> but, but the you know Will, Willem Dafoe is this Doctor Frankenstein with his scars all over him, and and there's little things like a chicken with a pig's head running around. I mean, you can't even conceive of anything like this. It's it's beyond anything I've ever seen. And actually. Uh, while I was there, I, I uh, Dorgos uh, did a um, Q&A afterwards, and this is for bar- volume two of my book. It's going to be uh, in the next one. Oh, oh, wow. oh, well, to our listeners, such a shame you couldn't see the image that he just held up. It, it is beautiful, like the rest of his drawings. Something about them gives me the vibe of uh, something that belongs in New Yorker or something like that. Well, they're simple line drawings, you know, that I think the simpleness is what, what you're re- reacting to. I, I don't find them to be like, you know, great art. They're, I just try to capture an essence of, of something about that director, you know, in each case. Well, you've done that really successfully. I love Spielberg from the cover. I mean, yeah, that, that's Spielberg. Well, he did catch, he's the only director who caught me drawing him. And uh, he came over and looked at the drawing and said, hey, that looks like me. And I said, can I put it on the cover of my book? <laughs> so he said, <laughs> And he gave you the approval, obviously, right? But nobody's giving me approval. I'm hoping that they'll all realize that I'm trying to, uh, you know, show my respect for them, not, not invade their privacy. Sure, 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 yes. sure. So in your book, Randall, you talk about fellow directors like Spielberg, Singleton, Howard, Del Toro, Cameron, Wilder. And this may be a hard question for you to pinpoint, but is there one director that really sort of helped shape your career and really sort of... Yeah, Robert Wise was was very instrumental in my career because when I was a film student, uh, he came to lecture at USC and I, I approached him and I said, would you look at my student film? And he said yes, and he invited me to Universal. He he ordered a, uh, a screening room, watched the film, then took me to lunch in the commissary and talked about the movie and what I what I could do to improve. And and then he took me on a tour of uh, the set of Hindenburg, which he was shooting at the time. And that was mind blowing that he took all that effort and help. And then later, you know. Um, he, when I was about to direct Greece, Nina Fosh um, invited me to have dinner at her home with Robert Wise so that I could talk about directing musicals. Oh, and wow. So he, we sat and talked for a long time about that, and uh, he told me that the important things are to listen to the cinematographer and the choreographer, be, pay attention and become close to them. And then he told, gave me a piece of advice that I did not take, which was, um, he asked me, how much prep time do you have for this musical? And I said, I have five weeks. So you must you must quit this job. You cannot do a musical in five weeks. You need a year. So that terrified me, but I, I went ahead and did it anyhow. But <laughs> it turned out okay. And um, <laughs> then next thing he did for me was he and George Cukor signed my, my application to the Academy. 40 years ago, and they got me into the academy. So Robert Wise was always there for me and, and, and terrific. Wow. Absolutely. You said you're traveling to the UK soon to meet with the writer. Um, what's your primary interest at this point in your career? Is more directing what you'd like to be doing? Is it writing or um, does it vary from day to day? I'm very excited by this project that's coming up. Um, I, 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 I wish I could talk about it, but you know, it could easily, easily fall apart at any moment and then you look stupid. <laughs> I, 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 you know, see me in six months and we'll be able to talk all about it. But I, I think it might be something really, really special and important. So that's what I'm focusing on now. Excellent. Excellent. After that, more writing more directing, or you just wait and see what comes your way? 
Well, I'm working on the book, my, my memoirs, <laughs> and trying to figure out if I have several books or one or whatever. And I'm also working on volume two of drawing directors. I have uh, volume one, there's 120 directors. And in volume two, I already have 100 more. Wow. So that's going to be... And, uh, oh, by the way, thank you. Uh, however this happened, thank you for actually putting your book out in hardback. I feel like there's too many books that skip the hardback. Uh, part mm -hmm. at this point and uh I, I i'm old school i like hardback books so that's that's beautiful yes well it's i have the hardback the softback and the kindle so you know i did a lot of research to figure out how you do this and 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 you know grease the director's notebook was by uh, uh harper collins and on this one i decided to self-publish and see how that works so so uh it's fascinating uh, how how it does work you you on amazon you give them all your material and then if somebody orders the book they print a book they don't have like a big stack of books in a warehouse somewhere that's causing storage problems or anything they they, they print them as you, as they're ordered so it's a really good way of doing things i think and and, and we'll see i mean I, I it just came out two weeks ago so i don't know how it's going to do but but um we'll you know it's a new new thing Fantastic. Yes. Randall, thank you tremendously for your time. It's good to see you again. I hope we'll be seeing you at another event one of these days. That'd be fun. If you get bored, come visit us in the UK. Give my David, my, my wonderful mentor, David. We absolutely will. And we agree that he's the best. All right. Absolutely. Thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you so much again, Randall. All right. Bye-bye. That was fantastic. Big thanks to Randall Kleiser for being so generous with his time today. It was really great talking to him. And selfishly, I have so many questions that no number of hours could ever be enough. So, <laughs> Well, um, maybe I can get him back after Drawing Directors 2.0 comes out or maybe even after he's done his next feature, which he can't say too much about, but... Oh, looking forward to hearing more about that. Yeah, I'm super curious uh, to know more about that when he can talk about it. So I love your thinking on that. If you can get him back, uh, that'd be great. And when we get him back, maybe that's an opportunity for a chat with him that's even more writing-centric than maybe this one uh, was. Because if I'm completely honest... Um, that was all sort of a blur to me. I know we talked about a lot of things. <laughs> Gee, I hope we talked about writing enough. Yes, me too. I'll, I'll see what I can do. And I really loved how it sort of came full circle in the beginning of the conversation there with David Paul Kirkpatrick, the, the founder of Story Summit. Uh, Randall had mentioned their White Fang experience and how they, they both sort of put uh, Ethan Hawke in his first movie there and White Fang. Oh, yeah. I want to hear more about that we would love to so if we could get those two guys together for a couple hours somehow under some circumstances i don't know if maybe that's our first podcast double episode hey now you're thinking i don't know if that's what they want to do with it but hey you're really good at asking people to do things and then getting them to do it so <laughs> so you're the man to ask so uh, uh thank you so promise me you'll at least ask Yes, I'll, I, I'll see what I can do. Okay, awesome. Thank you, thank you. I mentioned in the open that we met Randall a few years back at a Story Summit event on a cruise ship, of all places, and you had a special nexus with him on that trip because you ended up on stage with him as he was speaking. How exactly did that end up happening? What, what was that exactly? Yeah, I, I would love to tell that very quick story. Randall is just so generous and so sweet. And I attended the cruise by myself. And maybe that had something to do with it. I'm, I must have looked like a lost little puppy. Or <laughs> I don't know what it was. But um, there was a Greece musical going on at, on the cruise ship. So they had asked Randall to sort of come and do a little speech and talk about Greece. And Randall is the author of the the Grease, the, no the notebook that he mentioned in the chat there. And he was doing a little trivia in the theater and he was handing out all these books. 
And he said, he just sort of asked me if I wanted to come up on stage and hand out the books with him. And of course I said yes, because I say yes to everything. And <laughs> I jumped up on stage with Randall and I sort of asked the trivia questions and handed out the books and then had a nice little chat and sort of, I got to know him a tiny bit, but not as much as I got through in this interview. And he said, well, do you have one of those Grease books? Because I, I must have mentioned it or something. And I said, no, I, I don't. I, I didn't buy one. He said, well, come by the theater tomorrow night. I said, okay. So I go to the theater the next night. And he hands me a signed Grease book. And he put a little nice message in there. And I just thought that was the sweetest thing from somebody who I didn't know. He didn't know me, really. And I didn't know him. And I just thought it was a very sweet gesture that he did. And I never really forgot that. And so that's my Randall Kleiser story, but it was it was really quite the experience. A very generous, sincere person. He is as a, he is as advertised. Part of why I uh, enjoyed our chat with him so much today, and part of why I'm so very hoping we get a chance to do it again after his next project is released, if not sooner. Absolutely. So thank you, Randall Kleiser, for joining us today. His new book. Drawing Directors is really something special. I've got my hardback copy on order, and I think that that's really cool that he's actually put it out in hardback. I'm kind of a nerd about books that way. So I encourage everyone to take a look, obviously Amazon, because of course it is. Um, and a big thanks as well to Story Summit for introducing us to Randall in the first place, and as well for making this podcast possible. To meet other writers turbocharge your craft and learn about the industries writers care about it really sincerely doesn't get any better than the generous folks at story summit please check them out now at storysummit.us and as always thanks for listening and until next time keep writing and never ever give up on finding your audience producer or publisher you'll almost certainly hear a million no's along the way but stick with it because all it takes is that one yes. I've been your host, Brian Landwehr. This episode produced by myself and Bailey Patterson with the support of David Paul Kirkpatrick of Story Summit. I hope to be a writer myself someday. Original music by Kenton Edward.